Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Renee Morcos, founder of Alice Technologies. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is the podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this conversation with Renee, we discuss how CM firms can move from a traditional fixed CPM scheduling method to a place where we can input tasks and parameters, and Alice can run simulations of your project to determine the shortest duration for your job. Oh, and then export them to a P6 schedule for you. On a different note, we've been stuck on 85 ratings for about three months. I would love to get to 100. If you listen on Apple, it would mean the world to me if you would hit one of those rating stars to help get us to 100. Enjoy the show. Hey, Renee, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Hey, it's great to be here. We were chatting a little bit beforehand, and I'm going to give the same warning that I just gave to you, which is people listening should probably understand, and they probably already do if they're regular listeners, but I don't come from the construction tech space. I've been out of working for a GC now for 10 years probably, so I understand building, and I'll probably understand scheduling and all those concepts, no problem, but as far as what the latest softwares are and what their capabilities are. And, you know, you hear terms like, oh, federated model. Like, I couldn't tell you what a federated model was if you paid me. So <laughs> when we're talking, I'm not going to be doing the deep dive on the technical mm-hmm. side of things or the software sides, but hopefully from the scheduling and activity side of things, hopefully we can really kind of understand what Alice does. So I think that's probably a great place to start, Renee. Would you mind just telling the listeners what Alice Technologies does? Yeah, absolutely. So we've invented the world's first generative construction simulator. What that means, it's it's effectively a way to set up the constraints, the rules that govern your construction project, and have the construction, the software, crunch all those constraints for you, right? And so to give you an idea, so you can kind of take a typical, you know, say $100 million high rise or a half billion dollar airport project or a highway or a bridge or whatever it is that you're building, you put in our system, um, you set it up, you know, it takes uh, say a couple of weeks to set up uh, plus minus, and then the software goes through millions of iterations. The software builds it with one crane, two cranes, overtime, no overtime, fast drying concrete, regular drying concrete, and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. That's how it works. And obviously it, it finds the, the fastest or the cheapest way to build your project. I want to dig in on how that, what that looks like when we say putting it into the system. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe before we even go there, you hear the term generative design mm-hmm. and what are all the different ways we could go about this? How does that translate to generative construction? So like a designer is taking that, you, you know, might take that BIM model and, you know, change the facade on it or go from you know, steel with concrete metal deck to cast in place concrete and kind of change things around like that. Is generative design and generative construction one and the same or how do they differ? Yeah, it it pretty much is. Um, There's kind of four levels. I kind of developed this framework to kind of help me understand what's happening in our field. And so there's kind of four levels of automation or digitization. First level is static. That's when you draw it on paper. Second level I call automated. So what I used to draw on paper, I draw on the computer, right? Primavera is automated. You know, Excel is automated. Uh, let's see, AutoCAD is automated, right? So there's a there's a couple of things that you can, there's a couple of variables you can change in Auto, AutoCAD, for example, like the angle, right? But but generally speaking, there's not too many things you can change. You got to kind of draw everything by hand, 
right? Yep. With V6 or Primavera or Microsoft Project, right? There's a couple of things you can change. It does do a CPM calculation for you, but again, mostly you're doing it by hand, right? It's not doing yep. any complex resource reallocation, dynamic allocation, right? Two levels up, next two levels is parametric generative. Parametric means you change a parameter, you change like the height or the radius, the tool redraws your object, right? That change ripples through. That ripple through effect is how I explain parametric to myself. Sometimes when I'm trying to figure out is it parametric or not. Some very complex Excel models could be, you know, arguably, you know, called parametric, right? You change some variables in, up front and then it kind of ripples through your whole system. Yep. Right? Okay. Yeah. Generative simply means I don't want to change the parameters myself. So I want you to go through all the heights from, you know, 10 feet to 16 feet by half foot increments and give me the lowest energy requirements or the greatest rentable area or the highest power output, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, one of the key things that I really sort of push push for is, is that we started to see uh, the truth about parametric technology for construction, for architecture, it's been around since the 80s, Archicad. The problem was the processing speeds. Computers just weren't strong enough to crunch those kind of, you know, those sized models. And so that got changed, in my opinion, really 2015, 2014, 15, that kind of period was when it really started to, the computers started to be fast enough to crunch the, the models, right? Yep. Yeah, so that's when it started to happen. As a result, because we sort of now cracked the parametric piece, you've seen generative design really in the last three to five years starting to become mainstream. And so it's, it's very similar, right? What, what's never existed before is the generative construction piece. That's what we did. And the, the trick to it, right? And that's kind of the part where it's like, wait, you know, how did you guys do it? No one else has cracked it. Correct. Because we, 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 we took a very different approach to how to, uh, you know, do this generative construction thing, which was we, what we did was we separated the, the planning from the scheduling. We separated the rules that govern the project from the solution to those rules. Let the computer find the solution. You just focus on what the rules are, right? Got it. So, so you give it you give it some guardrails. Exactly. Say, I want to get to the end. Exactly. The is there exactly is the computer? And that's always been like a big kind of philosophical question in our company, which is the more constraints you give, the less options it looks through. So you can over constrain a problem where there's no solution. For for example, you know, uh, a minimum of two carpenters are required to do this task but only one carpenter is available for this project. Software, I don't have a solution, right? You know, yeah. alternatively, you could say, you know, you have to do task A followed by task B followed by task C, and there's one carpenter available. That's one solution because it will do A, then B, then C. Alternatively, you could say, I've got three tasks, A, B, C. There's no precedence relationship between them. I've got one carpenter available. Software will try A, B, C, C, B, A, B, A, C. And so the, the, there's always that question of like, so then, you know, those, that's kind of the difference between the hard constraints and soft constraints. Hard constraints are fixed, soft constraints, you can kind of, there's different variations of how you can resolve them. And so that's one of the things we've cracked, right? Which is how do you set up the problem in a way that enables the hard constraints to be satisfied, but enables the software to still search within the soft constraints. And that's, you know, that's kind of the, you know, the, 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 the $25 million question, so to speak, right? Which is how do you, how do you crack that piece of the puzzle? I, I just happened to do my PhD on it. I didn't realize at the time that that's effectively what I was working on. But in hindsight, I was like, oh, that's kind of useful. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, okay, so I just wanted people to be clear what, when you were talking about it's a, 
generative generative design product that gives you all these these options what that looks like and what you were saying was the date in my primitive terms we didn't have the computing power or maybe file sizes would have been too big but now that we have enough space mm -hmm. we can now use these tools to give us all the different possible options and that would kind of fall into the and correct me if i'm wrong into the family where you start hearing a lot of talk about like digital twins is that the same kind of concept yeah. you're building it you know it depends right i mean digital twin is, is a digital representation of what you're working on right mm -hmm. and so you could argue you know those four levels static automated parametric generative right mm -hmm. you could argue that automated gives you a bit of a digital twin right mm -hmm. Because you know your 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 building is representing the computer, so so BIM technology, right? Yep. You know, or or even three D modeling technology, right? Would be a digital twin. You know, then somebody might argue and say, well, wait a minute, but but I'm a construction person. I want to represent my cranes and my processes, and I want to represent the transformation of labor equipment materials at the work phase to produce the final product, the wall, the staircase, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so for that, you need something like Alice, right? So now, you know, for me to have a digital twin of my construction process, you'll need uh, an, an Alice, right? If I want a digital twin of my design process, maybe Revit is enough. But the really cool thing about what's happening in our field is, is there's just a lot of digitization that's happening. And so, you know, the lighting, you know, designer might say, yeah, but, you know, in order to digitize the lighting requirements, I'm going to use this specific software, right? Uh, the supply chain's getting digitized. You know, there's lots of other, you know, pieces of the puzzle that are getting digitized. Okay. So I want to enter my project into Alice's, the system, right? The software. How do I go about doing that? You talked about it taking two weeks. Do I need, you know, a P6 schedule that's going to give durations and manpower and materials like what what information do i need to put in there and i guess is it really is it a garbage in garbage out like if you put good quality info we're going to get a lot of great solutions if you don't put much in mm -hmm. probably not going to get great results like i guess yeah. what is it what's that look like so here, here's a couple of things i can tell you uh any software in the world is geigo right garbage in garbage out there's, there's no software in the world that, that you know enables you to put in crappy data and then give you like great results right mm -hmm. um uh, arguably, some software can correct for it using machine learning, but still, you know, if you if you put in really crappy data, you're going to get crappy results. I can guarantee you. Um, the other thing I can tell you is that there's no project in the world that we've ever encountered that has all the information. And so, the way that it works, right, is it's it's kind of three pieces to the puzzle. The first piece is what we call the planner, where you create the plan. The plan being the rules. The second piece is the simulator. We used to call it the scheduler. We kind of changed it. It's not, it's not creating schedules. It's creating simulations. Right? That's a big difference because it's actually, it's actually building your project for you in 3D, 3D space and time. Um, and the third is the analyzer. That's the part where you can you know, analyze the Gantt chart, analyze the, the crews, the, 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 the overtime, all that kind of stuff. Right? So those are kind of three phases of the puzzle. Um, the first phase is the phase that you're asking me about, right? which is the uh, planner. What we've built is a visual constraint programmer. So the ability to program constraints visually. So it sounds like really abstract. It's like, wait, what the heck? Like, how on earth will you do that? Well, the truth of the matter is, the other question you asked me is, is what do you need to set it up? You need to know what you're building and how you're building it. And if yeah. you talk to any construction person worth their salt, right, before they start a project, you could you know, wake them up at 3 in the morning, shake them hard, and say, hey, how are you going to go about building this job? Like, 
basement. What are you going to do? And the person will, you know, 99% of the time, no. And they will respond by saying something like, well, for the basement, what we've chosen to do is split into three strips. And those three strips, you know, are going to be made of whatever, uh, uh, mat slabs or, or formworks or columns, right, or piles. And so for the piles, what we're going to do is we're going to drill, we're going to put in the rebar cage, we're going to pour the concrete, we're going to dry the concrete, we're going to cure the concrete, right? And then on top of it, what we're going to do is we're going to pour the mat slabs, so we're going to put some formwork, put some steel, you know. You know long story short, the, the rules are really straightforward. It's incredibly intuitive to learn. You're basically telling the software, here are the tasks that I need to build a given element. Here are the resources that I need. Here are the calendars that I that are available, right? And that's it. The software then goes and takes the resolution or the combination or application, whichever way you want to view it, of taking resources out of the resource pool, assigning them to the tasks that need to be executed. That's what the, the simulator does for you. And that's a simple number crunching problem, right? It's a constraint resolution problem. There's nothing that, that is in there that is, say, out of the out of the ordinary, right? Now, are you just entering this data into fields? So, so, so that's the one thing that we don't do. And, the, and here's the reason that the, that first piece, that visual constraint programmer has two properties that enable what we have to work. The first is that it's really easy to learn. The second is that it is scalable. And what I mean by that is that you, one of the major issues with simulation for construction, right? Uh, because we build or, or, or work on bigger, more complex problems in other fields, that's why we're the last to digitize, right? It's not because we're lazy or stupid or not innovative. It's simply put the technology hasn't caught up, right? The, the problems we build are bigger, more complex. And so one of the major um, challenges was you, with using simulation technology in construction has been exactly what you're saying, which is if you were to ask the user to input all the fields that are that are required to, to run a simulation, they'd lose their mind. We know this because we've tried it. We were running the, our original projects for you know 120 tasks, and if you were to create what we call you know the quote the input file, the file of all the tasks and the pertaining constraints, you want to kill yourself. Right? That's it what is, I would, yeah. yeah, it's so it, it's so hard. The the way we got around it. This is one of the key reasons people are like still to this day, people are like, oh, Alice is not possible. I'm like, we I, we built it. It's like, no, no, it can't be done. I'm like, no, but I swear to God, we, we, we did it. One of the key reasons, right, is, is that is that you tell here's an example. You tell the software, here's how you build a column. And you may I interrupt. So when you say you tell the software, this is how you build a column. I guess what I'm getting at is how do you tell it that? Is it you give right. it a BIM model? Is it you give them so you, a so that's a good question? So you import import a BIM. And so you click on a column, right? And you say, you know, I'm gonna create what we call a recipe. Okay. The recipe is how you build a column. So a recipe, you'll get a, a network little diagram view mm -hmm. and you'll create five tasks a network diagram. You'll say, uh, put steel, put formwork, pour concrete, cure concrete, remove formwork. When you put steel, you can open that task and it, it will ask, you know, labor, equipment, materials, production rates, durations. So you can, whatever information you have, some people have all the information. Some people want to use production rates. Some people want to use duration. Some people want to model labor. Some people want to model labor and equipment. Some people want to model the crane. So that's where the human operator, their experience comes into play. Because whatever information they were using to create their P6 schedule is the information that you're putting into Alice. But the real big difference is that you do that one time, you then apply that recipe 
to all the columns in your project, if that makes sense. Yep, yep, it does. So, so you tend to create, let's say on average, 15 or 20 recipes. And on average, those 15 or 20 recipes create a two to 3,000 activity network diagram. That's the power of it. So you'll have a recipe for the slab, a recipe for the columns, yeah. recipe on the facade, on the roof, exactly. on, exactly. the, on yeah. each wall. Yes. Now, of course, the recipes, you know, use the length, width, height, you know, of the elements. So let's assume that you've got a slab that's bigger. You could tell it to that the duration of pouring concrete is equal to volume times whatever the, the pour rate is. Ah, that was my next question. So I was going to say, if you had a 10 by 10 wall, yep. will, it, will it know when you go to that 20 by 10? Of course. Not just that. You can, of course, now imp the, we've just released a feature where you can import properties to your BIM elements. So what I'm trying to explain is that you can say, for example, I'm going to, you know, I have some reason why these walls need different kinds of concrete and they're going to get poured slower than those ones. And so what I'll do is I'll actually attach a, a, what we call a UDF, a user-defined field, to my walls, and I'll use that in my, in my duration calculation. Is that almost like a, like a wall type would be? Yeah, exactly. Right, or so material type or wall type or, you know, we've seen lots of, you know, innovative ways to use that, right? You know, some folks will, will say, hey, what I want to do is I'm going to import the cycle because, you know, I'm building a long... $200 million conveyor belt at a mining facility, right? So the uh, duration, the cycle time changes as I get further away from the quarry. So I'm going, you know, I could get, I could get the software to start like figuring out, you know, where the truck is and calculate the duration and the length and the distance that way. Distance is the word I was looking for. Or alternatively, I'll just tag each of these elements with their distance from the quarry and then use that to calculate the cycle time. Hmm. Okay. It's really, you know, powerful in, in that way. Um, we're about to release a feature where you don't need the BIM anymore. You can just start, you can just create text boxes, you know, to, to run your, run your uh, simulation. And then how, how would it connect it to a building element? Oh, it's, it's actually works. This kind of blew us away. So the one thing that we sort of pushed for at Alice is that we want you to represent the product. So in a P6 or Microsoft project or any kind of scheduling software, one of the things that's really weird when you think about it is you don't represent the darn product. You don't represent the columns, the slabs, the building, the facade. Like there's tasks. You look at those tasks in a Gantt chart. You look at bars. Yep. Yeah. Right. Bars. Right. But you don't have the thing that you're building. That's mm -hmm. where we're like, no, no, no. Trust us. There's a lot of benefit to that. So you can either represent the thing you're building as a BIM model. That's what you do today. Or you'll basically, you know, draw a little box that says columns on third floor, uh, slab on fourth floor, columns on fourth floor, slab on fifth floor, columns on fifth floor, so on and so forth, right? But once you represent it that way, um, you can then attach the recipes to those, you know, bo text boxes effectively, yeah. run it. But here's, here's the kicker. This is what blew us away. So somebody on the team was like, hey, what if we group? What if we import the BIM and group the BIM elements to that text box? Import the BIM yep. into Alice and then attach those text boxes to the elements? The pertaining elements. So what it says, you know, when it says columns on third floor, you select all the third floor columns and then you create a group 
you group them into one element with that. Table. Okay, I, I got you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, one, one, so, so, yeah. so instead of an individual element, you're saying all the columns on this floor are one group, one thing, and the recipe is correct. But 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 here's the thing that that you kind of cheated because you you already attached the recipe to the text box that said columns on third floor. Mm. So you know, so we were like, wait, is that gonna work? Like, you know, I was like, man, that would be crazy if it does, and it works like magic. Hmm. You literally like you you use the text boxes, you run the software, then you import the BIM, you group the the BIM elements to the pertaining text boxes. You know, columns on third floor are grouped with third floor column box, right? Yep. Then you hit run, and the freaking thing works. It was like, what the heck? Hmm. Yeah. And do you find that it's better to do going back to like a wall example, would it be better to look at a, a wall as a, a recipe for an area or would it be better to do like a linear foot? You know, it, it depends. Recipe? Like that's the that's the thing. What we have is a visual constraint programmer. You, the human, are the one that's setting up the rules that need to be crunched. So it depends. Some superintendents prefer it as linear feet. Some people, some superintendents prefer it as volume. Some superintendents prefer it as, as just a fixed duration, right? Mm -hmm. um, each person brings their own construction experience and their own construction kind of flavor to the table. Um, we very specifically and purposefully wanted to build it that way. Because you, like, the way we view Alice is that it's an F-16 jet. It needs a pilot. The way to think about it is it's very similar to SAP 2000, right? Structural Analysis Program. SAP 2000 did not eliminate the need for structural engineers. They just don't spend their time sitting there with a calculator, finite element analysis, which is boring. But they are they're the, the person that understands the rules of the structure, understands how to set it up in the computer, get the computer crunch it for them, and then interpret the results. Hmm. Exact same thing with Alice. Okay. A couple of questions, and you've probably answered these things a million times, so forgive me for having to uh, bore you here. But... And this is just very simple, but I think it would matter to me as far as how much input I need to do. Like kind of, is it, is the juice worth the squeeze? Like if I had type A wall, which is in a one hour rated wall, mm -hmm. is it easy enough where I can say, I go to the next wall and say, okay, give me recipe A and then just add two more layers and make it a two hour wall. You create, you create, that was literally like, so now you're, you're, you're kind of in our shoes. So this is one of the first things we realize is we need to be able to copy, create copies of the recipes, hmm. right? Yep. Uh, another question you could ask me, this kind of blew me away and it still blows me away. So originally when we built it, I was like, ah, oh, you probably need like 200 recipes or 300 recipes for a project, right? There's going to be loads of them. Hmm. So we ran our first parking lot. Um, this is 2014. And then, um, you know, I, I called my buddy and I said, hey, so... So did you run it? He goes, yeah. I said, how many tasks? He said, 2,200. I said, holy cow, like the thing created 2,200 tasks. He goes, yeah. I said, how many recipes? He goes, five. I said, wait, what? He goes, five. I said, but that it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. Right? He goes, no, it's five. I said, but there's 2,000 tasks. He goes, really think about it. It's a, it's, it's a parking lot. You got slabs, you got columns, you got elevator shaft, staircase, shear wall. The last, the last thing I'll say is, is that it turns out you can run most projects in the world with about 20, 25 recipes. 
Because we kept thinking like we're gonna have to seed it with like this recipe library, and we're gonna need to have this like marketplace of recipes. And like I spent so much time thinking about these friggin' recipes, and it turns out that like for most jobs in the world, pretty much every job we've ever done, you can create all the recipes from scratch in like two three hours. Hmm. And it goes all the way to finish, right? So it would have the epoxy coating for the parking garage. It would. Yep. I've installed the elevator and absolutely. And then, then for the rooms, for example, what you'll tend to see is folks uh, will create little boxes to represent the rooms, and then they'll attach the finishing tasks to those boxes. And it's funny that you said that you had thought you were going to need all these recipes because immediately where my mind went was, okay, well, next job I do, will it be smart enough to say, okay, this is a column? but this one is 18 by 18 and not 12 by 12, like the last one. And is there any way to have it be almost like the machine learning thing where it picks yeah, up? You, you could do that. We currently don't. It's definitely not the, the, the biggest headache you have when you set it up, right? So yeah, I definitely think it's gonna head in the direction where it starts to machine learn suggest the, the types of recipes that you need. But at this stage, like, Here's 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 how it will work out. Most of our clients will have, like the, our most advanced clients will have three, two three recipes. So, you know, the, the machine learning is like, oh well, I didn't need, to, I didn't, I'm going to save the time from selecting from the three recipes. Okay, great. So you know that saved you a few seconds of time, right? Like it's even like the thing that's funny about it is like it's almost to the point where, like this, like I spent. I mean, I'm talking like two years, like really racking my brain around this whole recipe optimization. And like, we need the recipe marketplace and we're going to, you know, have our, our seed it with recipes. And when you buy the software, we'll come with these prepackaged recipes and we'll have you know, recipes that we sell to, you know, concrete sobs and steel sobs. And like, I've really, really racked my head around it. But it, it's, it's just like, what's kind of funny is that the more we worked on, the more we realized like, man, those recipes are like really easy easy part like it's just it's the easy part right it's like even if you don't have anything like it's almost the point where like sometimes it's not even worth digging up your recipe what we call the cookbook like the the database of your recipes because mm -hmm. you just you know you're in the room you're talking to you know everybody that's on the project you're like okay how are we going to go about building you know the the roadway slabs and so everybody puts in their their input right and they like to see it kind of growing on the screen in front of them mm. and now with that recipe you're going to say, like you said, install the rebar, install the forms, place the concrete, strip the forms. Do you have to be as detailed as it's two iron workers to install the rebar for four hours? Yeah, it's, it's the level of detail, right? That's the question you're asking. Yeah. The question you're asking is, you know, I sometimes argue it's like the most important or critical question. Alice follows a dynamic LOD. So let me let me explain what it means. In Alice, you've got your your product model. So what you're building, the building, the high rise, the the, the airport, whatever that it is, right? Um, usually import a BIM. As I pointed out, we're releasing a 2D version, right? So that if you're a scheduler that doesn't have any BIM skills, you can still use it. Uh, the second piece of puzzle is the process level of detail. In Alice, you can set it up any way you want. So let me give you a couple examples. There was a project, you know, that they were building basement. Uh, there's a different subcontractor that's going to be responsible for the basement. So nobody knew anything about how it was going to get built. So they literally had a task that they grouped all the elements, all the, the shear walls, the, the piles, the, the slabs, the, the columns, everything in the basement was grouped into one object, and they attached 
a recipe to it that had one task and the task said build basement 45 days right but that that's one extreme end of the, of the spectrum right yeah you can say, well, wait a minute. Now information's coming in. The, the basement sub, we signed the contract. They come and look at it. They say, no, no, no. I'm going to split the basement up into, I'm going to group all the columns, group all the shear walls, group all the you know, piles, group all the slabs, whatever it is. And I'm going to create a recipe for each one of those. But it's still early. So, you know, I, I think that, that the columns are going to take me, you know, say two weeks to install. Again, the recipe has one task. It says two weeks. Mm -hmm. Roll it down the line. They bring in the foreman that's going to be responsible for the walls. Foreman says, oh, no, no. What I'm going to do is I'm going to basically say, now I'm going to you know, delete the recipe, you know, disattach the recipe that has that one two-week task, and I'm going to basically put in five tasks, which is put the, form, uh, put the steel, put the formwork, pour it, cure it, remove the formwork. Right? Mm -hmm. And each of these tasks are going to require these labor types. Right? So that's, you know, again, fine, you know, you're increasing the LOD. As the, you're going. As you go, right. Yeah. Then somebody like, so, you know, individual labor. Um, you know, it hasn't come up a lot. We can do it. It has come up. People have especially asked it for COVID. So it comes up in, in two situations. One, some folks start to get finicky because they want the production rate. So that the duration is equal to the volume divided by the number of crews that have been assigned. Now, the number of crews that have been assigned What's really nice about Alice is you can say, hey, um, the minimum number of crews assignable to this task is one. The maximum number is, say, three. So this, for example, this specific example usually comes up when somebody's somebody's nailed to the wall, right? They're trying to optimize for something. They're 14 months delayed, 50, you know, 40, 50 million dollars of liquidated damage that they're looking at. And they, 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 they're trying to squeeze out every last bit of performance out of the system. Mm -hmm. So at some point, they'll say, wait a minute, can I assign more than one crew to a task? You know, by default, it's one. So like, okay, yes, you can. Sometimes they're, they're you know, starting to get desperate. They'll say, okay, well, can I assign more than one, more than whatever the standard is, is let's say three carpenters in the crew. What if I had four or five? So they'll start to vary the number of people in the crew, right? You can do that as well. Long story short, with Alice, um, whatever you want to model, this was our North Star when we built the software, whatever it is that you want to model, if you want to do it, our answer should be yes, you can do that. People have often tried to catch us out with like complexity. Like a lot of times when somebody says, hey, can you model X? We sort of smile and say, how are you doing that today in P6, right? Because you're, you can't do that. And then we you know, quickly say, yep, we can absolutely do that. Here's how you can set you know, varying number of people within a given crew and varying number of crews that are assigned to a given task, right? So you can do all the above, right? Yeah. Most of the time, people tend to opt for the, the, the simple, simple solution straightforward. Which is? Which is you have one crew that has a fixed number of people in it, one crew type. So a carpenter crew will have four carpenters. Its production rate is X, and one crew gets assigned to one task. Right. Most most of the times, it's it, people want it to be that simple. Yeah. But you definitely would. Uh, well, maybe I'm wrong. I shouldn't say definitely. I would assume that you would have to have production rates in there for Alice to know whether one, two, or three crews would be optimal. Like let's say the recipe was for third the third floor columns like you talked about, mm -hmm. and it would take one crew 
three days to form yep. the, the floor. You have to have the production value to know, well, okay, if we go to two crews, you know, then we would get X or something, right? It's an equation. So you can, you can, you can set up the duration equation any way you want. Sky's the limit. So, so for example, you can say that the duration is equal to the production rate times the quantity divided by number of crews. And then someone, I've, you know, I've seen this before. Someone in the audience is going to say, wait, you know, but, but when you have twice the number of crews, it's not half the duration. Okay. Well, what do you want it to be? I want it to be, you know, 1.1 times that. Okay, great. So I'm going to put that in the equation. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, other times people say, Hey, I don't want to use production rates. I want it to be fixed. Infrastructure, infrastructure folks love, love production rates, right? You know, commercial folks. Yeah. Yeah. Tend to like, because it's miles of pipe. So how much per foot or yeah, yeah. I get you. Right. Um, and so it's, it's really up up to you how you want to define it. Right. It's true. It doesn't like, however you created your P6 is how we're going to create Alice. Right. Okay. If you have the ability to create P6 and we're just, we're like, you know, it, it's really like, I mean, trust me, most people learn how to use a darn thing in a day, day and a half. It's, mm -hmm. it's incredibly intuitive. There's nothing like I've told you everything there is to it. What tasks, what resources, mm -hmm. production rates, calendars, durations, like all of those things should be really common lexicon to anybody in the field. Right? Yeah. But currently as we do it, we don't do recipes in P6 or do we? Right, you know, so not so true. If you, t I mean, absolutely not true. You take a P6 schedule for a high rise. I can literally show you where the recipes are. They're going to get repeated on every floor. Hmm. We've done that too. We've imported P6 schedules, right, and then reverse engineered the recipes from the P6. You know, algorithmically. Yeah. So there, there's a way. So like, let's say. There's six tasks that mm -hmm. are on a schedule mm -hmm. and they equal one recipe. Yep. We've done it. You can tie it like that. And then that way, you know that, okay, we bump up the production so we can get, we can do columns faster and pour floors faster, but now we've gone too fast and we're trying to pour a floor before the columns are cured or the welds are done, you know, on the floor below. Like it, it obviously all that logic has got to be built in there. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can, you can, if the question is, can you, can you extract it out of the P6? Yes, we've done that. Okay. Uh, another question is, can you import a P, can, we, we can export the P6 seamlessly. Can you import from P6 is a question. Well, if you're importing from P6, you're, the way to think about it is P6 is a 2D drawing and Alice is a 3D object. What I'm trying to explain is that Alice has concepts like cranes, crane radii, multiple shifts, um, consumable, reusable materials, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Suppliable materials. There's, there's things in Alice that you, you just, you can't, you can't create in the P6 world. Yeah. Right. And so there's, there's limitations to what you can extract. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a little bit of a dressing, dressing up step that you need to go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. It's a perfect segue. Cause that's where I wanted to go. I mean, I've heard you say, and just seen on your, your, information that's out there, your content that's out there, it talks often about what's the production improvement if you go to two cranes or one crane or you use the tower crane versus two crawlers. Like, how does that work? You know, what happens if we used a man of material hoist versus a lull to load materials? Are those presumably recipes as, as well? Like, how do those non-building elements 
like get permitting? calculated? Say it again? Like permitting, for example? Like permitting or, you know, using a crane or using a hoist versus carrying stuff up. Like how, how does... Oh, okay. So those are two separate questions. So uh, one of them is, is how do you... Here's what I can tell you. Um, a question that, that I would ask if somebody, you know, told me about Alice and said, hey, do you want to use it? Is how many times in the last year have you encountered a constraint that you can't model? Or effectively, the question is, how complete is your system? And the answer is, it's been about two years. There isn't anything we can't put in our system, right? Anything the hell you want, you can do it, right? It's, we've cracked it. Like, I spend zero time on thinking about that piece of the, the puzzle, literally. The question you asked was, if you have a, a you know, a tasks that are not connected to a, a BIM element, like permitting or something, um, you can create it in the recipe. There's nothing to stop you doing that. You can create a, a, a simple box. Like if you want a visual representation to procurement, for example, like you want to see that the procurement's occurring. So mm -hmm. we've seen projects where they created like little boxes that were, you know, procurement for steel, procurement for whatever. So you could, it would change color when it was being done. Right? So you could see it in 4D, right? And then um, the other question was, remind me again. Uh, like how, to decide whether you should use one crane or two cranes, like how would that? Ah, um, we have started working on, um, <laughs> this is really cool actually. We started working on an if statement for recipes, i.e. I'm gonna create two recipes for this element and you figure out which one I should be using, right? When you say you, Alice. Alice, yes. So you just give Alice multiple options and then Alice plays those options mm -hmm. downstream Yep. And gives you, here's this path to build it. Here's that yep. path to build it. Uh, this path might incur more man hours, but it would get you there this much faster. And yep. Exactly. Well, and a good one is, uh, this has come up in, in this context. So prefab. So do you want to prefab everything or do you want to prefab some things? So imagine that you could set it up and you could say, for the columns, you could use recipe A, which is prefabricated columns, or recipe B which is um, cast in place and you know, let the software run it. Recipe A for prefab would probably incur some procurement time. Hmm. Recipe, recipe B, maybe not. And so what would be cool is when, when the software finished running, because it'll, it'll go through 6 million you know, options, I'll come back and say, hey, so you know, option you know, 537,721, when you do these columns, you know, prefab and these ones cast in place, it's the fastest because X, Y, Z. What tends to happen usually when you look at the solution, you're like, oh, that makes sense. Like that, that happens all the time. You know, at first you're like, huh, like how, like why is it faster? And then you, you dig a little deeper. You're like, oh yeah, of course there's a staircase in the middle section. So it's when it started with the staircase, it enabled it to move to the next floor faster because, you know, X, Y, Z, right? That happens all, all the time. I think I'd just like, while I have you in kind of, uh, you know, in a non-Alice sense, just somebody who's in the space thinking about things, where do you think we have the most room to run in construction generally? Like, where's the space where you're like, wow, there's a lot of whether it's waste or improvement that can be done. Like wh where do you see in construction right now is 
kind of some low-hanging fruit or some places where we could really get better rather quickly. Semantics. Yeah, I think the bleeding edge of research in our field is currently semantics. So what I mean by that is that there's an incredible amount of money, effort, time, talent, love, passion, and tears that are being poured into digitization. Mm -hmm. And so building digital representations of the supply chain, of the labor, of the daily time cards, of the you know, delivery you know, uh, documents, of um, design, of the construction process itself. That's what we're working on, right? Like all of that stuff's getting digitized. However, like I like to say, the bricks still got to go on top of each other. Yeah. So you've got the real world and you've got the digital world, right? The two need to communicate. And in order to do so, um, the challenge that we face today is that, you know, you go out and, and do a LIDAR scan of a construction site, right? Mm -hmm. That LIDAR scan is a bunch of dots, right? You know, point cloud. Converting a point cloud into BIM requires you to understand semantics, requires you to understand what makes a column a column, what makes a slab a slab, right? Um, it requires to understand what, you know, what, what a formwork looks like, for example, right? Like formwork versus the column that it's sitting on top of, right? That's kind of relatively easy to figure out, right? Mm -hmm. But these kind of semantic insights into how our field, you know, behave, what makes a column a column, what makes a slab a slab, what, what are the underlying properties of a crew, right? Like, why is labor behave the way it does? And that's, I think, the, the cutting edge of, of what, what's going to be occurring over the next 10 years. Because if you crack that problem, then you'll have a seamless integration between digital and real worlds. And today, that's, to put it mildly, tricky. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. And any other questions, we'll have to have to wait. But I think uh, I'm really hoping this gives people a good picture. And forgive me for my um, persistent questions. We're really just trying to, like, get this visualized in my head because it's a concept that although somewhat you do a good job of making it simple it's still a complicated thing right because we're just not used to building that way so to really get our hands around it and that's why i was kind of really pushing you on the, the specifics and i appreciate you being patient with that what one last thing is there a good place where people could go to to see almost like a demonstration of of how it works or what's what would be the right place to point people if they want to learn more alistechnologies.com, there's a, a support page that you can click on and we've put all, all of the videos online. You can literally go through exactly how it works, what you're doing, et cetera, et cetera. There's example projects, there's, there's tutorials. We put our entire tutorial you know, online. So you go to alistechnologies.com and then click on support and, and from there you can see it, the whole thing, how it works. Yeah, but you're correct, it's, it's, a, it's a new way to do it. When we, when we ran it with, uh, some friends of ours and consulting that should remain nameless, but they came back and they said, it's a new way to think about construction. And, and I agree with that. Great. All right, Renee, appreciate it. Hopefully we'll uh, be in touch again in the future. Thanks so much for inviting me. Really great to be here. All right, MassCons, what did you think? Crazy stuff, right? Is this where we're heading? Are we on the cusp of this happening or are there gaps that we're missing? So. Please give me some feedback. I'm interested in what you think about Alice Technologies, about what you think about technologies to come, what you think about 
the idea of sensors and machine learning and AI and everything that's out there happening right now. What's the exciting tech that you want to hear more about? Uh, drop me a DM anywhere on social and say, hey, I would love to hear from X, Y, and Z company. Um, I think they're doing something special. And remember to like, rate, share this podcast in any way you see fit. It really helps us grow and it helps us get those guests that we're looking to. Take care. We out. We out. We out.